Hello, my name is Christine Murray, and welcome to the Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to make cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. Today, I'm speaking to Linda Teal from White Architecture. Linda and I spoke many years ago in one of our earliest conversations for the Developer Podcast, and we spoke about the approach to placemaking at the Gascoigne Estate, which has been undergoing uh, redevelopment for the past five years. Now, Linda got in touch to tell me that there's been some changes to their thinking around those plans, and we thought it was a great idea to sit down and talk about why and how they've been re-examining their approach to the Gascoigne. Let's listen in. Hi, Christine. So, hi, everyone. I'm Linda Thiel. I'm an architect and partner at White Architecture. We are originally a Scandinavian architecture practice. I is a founding partner of our London office back in 2015. Um, and since then in the UK, we've been working across various housing and urban design projects. Um, yeah. And we talked actually back in 2018 for one of the very first episodes of the developer. Uh, so it's really great to have you back. And in fact, um, we're going to be talking a lot about the same project we talked about then, which is, I think, super interesting. So I'll invite listeners to go back and listen to where we are. But that project is the Gascoigne Estate. Uh, so if you could tell me a little bit, just a refresher for those who who aren't familiar about where the Gascoigne Estate is and what kind of project it's been over uh, undergoing over the past five years. Sure. So the Gascoigne Estate is in Barking in East London. It's uh, 60s estate, um, sim- recently close to Barking Station. Uh, we were originally commissioned by the first, just when they were set up as a new company to look at Gascon East Phase 2, which was roughly 500 units um, based on a, an existing master plan, which uh, was demolishing of the existing estate buildings on that site, which was a combination of 12-storey towers and three-story low-rise buildings and we were looking at really ways to create sort of a public realm landscape-led sort of housing development um, taking on lots of our Scandinavian design principles um, in terms of that and then we were subsequently through their um, frameworks for architects and mini competitions appointed to do Gascoigne West Phase 1, which is 200 homes on the western side, and then subsequently Gascoigne West Phase 2, which is 400 homes roughly. And we also, with our wide knowledge by that time on the um, estates, we were also commissioned to do placemaking strategy. So basically since 2017, 18, or when we first spoke on the previous podcast, we've been involved on the Gascoigne estate. Um, both on early phases, placemaking strategies and delivering some of the phases ourselves as well. So if you take us back to the place as uh, it was when you, you know, first did your site visits, when you first started to to engage with the Gascoigne Estate, what was uh, it like in terms of its placemaking um, as a place? I mean, like many of the estates of that time, it was very much individual buildings standing in between some sort of patches of green lawn, fenced off, lots of sort of sort of drying clothes outside on various sort of railings, which, you know, looked like people were actually using the place, but not so much for, you know, play or actually socialising. 
And it was just so much parking. It was like surface parking everywhere. Uh, felt like every home could have like two spaces or something. So it wasn't very much a place where you felt that you would walk along tree-lined streets or feeling that there were things happening at ground floors. It was just kind of a vast, it was very difficult to find your way around because the streets were a bit patchy and then you ended up in a parking lot and you tried to find the entrance to a building. Um, and it was and obviously in a really sort of poor state. It was lots of gang crime. I think there was a, a big stigma around the estate and, you know, who lived there and what was going on. Uh, at the time they had, I think it was LNQ and Levitt Bernstein were doing Gascoigne East Phase 1. So that was ongoing. And interestingly, there are three schools. There's one school, but like three school buildings. It's one of the biggest one in England, I think. So two primaries and one secondary. So it felt like there was really opportunities for a strong neighborhood um, once you can sort of get beyond the, the crime aspect that was going on at the time. Um, so it didn't feel particularly safe. I think we talked about that last time and we were really hoping to be able to engage with the community and the schools to try to create something different. And I can really understand the the wish to just get rid of it and do something new and deliver much more more homes than you had and in a much better quality and in a better place. Um, and how so, is the I gas think going... over the last five years, things have just you know changed drastically within our industry. And how, how is the Gascoigne estate around its periphery? How is it knitted into the community? Is it very much an island or does it have good connectivity into the surrounding neighbourhoods? I think it's got sort of reasonable good connectivity. It is a bit of an island due to the, or it was an island due to the character it had as an estate with sort of more low rise sort of terrace housing going on beyond it. But um, before the Gascon estate started to be sort of redesigned and regenerated, there was some housing along the river roading towards the east-west um, that had already been de developed. So there were obviously sort of lots of aspiration to densify the site, make it a better place. And But, you know, you would probably hear me talking about Gascon East and Gascon West. It sounds a bit strange, but there is a very poorly connected sort of east to west connections across the state. Um, there's like one main route between all the schools. So I think that was one thing that the wider master plans and our placemaking strategy really tried to improve, um, generally improve the street pattern um, across. So you you came into this project, it was very much about demolishing the estate, very much that um, mode of thinking uh, to, to then, you know, start fresh and and build a kind of mixed community um and now five years on uh what happened what changed i think i mean it actually this particular conversation about so taking on a retrofit approach to this place started with me and a colleague gareth atkinson from um, civic engineers we were down at the footprint conference last summer and everything was about retrofit and obviously both of our companies, them as structural engineers and us as architects, the majority of our work coming in was more focused on retrofit. And we knew that some of the last phases within the current master plans were going to come forward on Gascoigne. And we said, what if, basically, what if there was a different approach to this instead of full-on demolition and new construction? Is there another way to go? 
whether, you know, is there a way where we could go full on retrofit, save huge amounts of, you know, embodied carbon, improve energy use, you know, lower energy bills for residents? Is there a way where we can actually keep the residents and tenants within their home once this is done so we don't have to break up the community and families and all the children going to these really great schools on the name on the estate and we also felt that we've you know been trusted by b first to work on so many different phases so we said well let's just do our own piece of research and then present it to b first as almost like a thought provocation saying would you consider a different approach when you move forward with the final phases so that was basically the starting point a crossover of giving something back um knowing the estate and all the different phases we had lots of information on the previously demolished buildings um on some of our early phases um and also you know have a strong connection to the place and the and the community and this wasn't the kind of a paid piece of research you you felt that they weren't in a position where they would commission you to to kind of rethink everything no i think i mean obviously being very much aware of you know limit limits to cost and being sort of a local authority we just felt that well we you know we let's just do it on our own as our own research and present it to them uh so it wasn't commissioned uh, we presented a few times to the the first design team um, and then subsequently we had a roundtable conversation with housing associations and some other local authorities as well um trying to have that conversation about is there a different approach and what are the challenges or benefits or who else is doing something like this just trying to sort of boost that conversation and were you inspired by any projects in particular that had already started to take a more retrofit or blended approach to estate regeneration i think we mainly looked at other european precedents or projects where it feels like across france or northern europe generally there had been there were more examples in france netherlands and in germany of course um where this had been done not so much perhaps in the uk it might be something about the vat on you know <laughs> the whole vat conversation in terms of uh financial challenges but i think um so it was more in terms of the technical aspects of what do we do with these buildings and how do we learn to love these buildings in a way um and how can we work with them and then more from our general sort of placemaking landscape perspective how do we like is there a way where we demolish some parts of these buildings in in this case we looked at the low rise kind of linear long three story buildings that didn't really allow for a for a good street pattern it was difficult to create courtyards all of these aspects of creating a good new housing place <laughs> estate um in terms of communal gardens you know how do we create playable streets parks communal space how do we activate ground floors so we can have these streets overlooked and feel safe and how do we connect to the schools and the other assets on the estate so it turned out almost to be more of a retrofit this neighborhood um, which then included retrofitting of the buildings 
And in the approach, were you, did, had you set certain conditions for yourself? So what was one of them around, uh, you know, can people stay in place? Was that like a principle that you, did you set certain principles for yourselves? In, yeah, in no, a good your point. Yeah, very good point. I think when we, so we started to look at both the, the buildings as such, which two different types. So we have the tall 12 story buildings, which built in the late sixties. So we started to look at whether basically what does it take if we want to meet the current space standards? How much do we need to do? We need to strip it down to the bare bones of slabs and columns. And what are the load bearing walls? Can we add second stairs, more risers, all of these things? Like how could we bring these towers up to, you know, a new build space standards and, and similar qualities? And interestingly, none of the buildings, the existing buildings on the state have balconies. So that was kind of an easy thing. Say, so, okay, we need to obviously work with a fabric, add balconies, make sure that they're better insulated. And then sort of how do we bring the kitchens and bathrooms and you know, all the space standards up to current regs? And would that also allow us to potentially slot in like bathroom pods and other MMC elements that we work with on any other new build? So that was one sort of really deep, not even deep retrofit, but like total transformation is keeping the structure, basically. On the other hand, well, what does it take to just sort of boost these, make these homes better, like renovate them, you know, new bathrooms, kitchens, still add balconies would be a huge benefit and look at the fabric to, you know, to better the energy performance. And they're, they're really, the towers are really, sort of they got really good bones if you would say because they're age shaped so there were actually gaps where we could add additional risers and second stairs so we really wanted to try to by which means can we bring this up to you know some standard that feels as safe and good as a new build so and you've then got on this the other age hand, plan you've got an age plan and you're thinking we'll fill in that yeah, so yeah so you have those sort of the gaps where you could then say well this actually is really suitable for a second stair escape from the central core etc so that turned out, you know, potentially being quite efficient. And we then subsequently had that conversation with other housing associations and local authorities in terms of, is it actually feasible to keep residents in whilst you're doing this? Or do they have to move out anyway? And what are the benefits of going light retrofit or full-on transformation? Which is a challenge. And I think there's probably not one right answer. There are several different answers depending on where and how you know the context we also looked at the low-rise three-story buildings and our first approach and this was before the gla basically pulled all funding for timber structures at all so currently the gla don't fund even low-rise like houses in timber uh, timber frame or clt so we looked at adding two stories of timber sort of onto these three-story apartment blocks. So they would be five stories and have balconies. Um, but then we that happened sort of during those couple of months when we were looking at this. And then we said, well, let's just keep them, you know, the same scale as they are, but look at a similar approach as we did for the towers. Like what happens if we just do the fabric, you know, performance better and adding the balconies and looking at various um smaller aspects that we could uh, better these homes um 
And as we were doing this, we were then trying to find other aspects of looking at, and we had lots of conversations about, do we need to just stop building anything new now to be able to just kind of try to meet the whole global warming um, sort of cap uh, and not sort of add, add on to that? And how can we, you know, how... How low can our embodied footprint be? And is this the route we need to take until we in 10 or 20 years actually have new new legislation and other ways of building buildings? Um, so we also started to look, and this was civic engineers, obviously the civils and structures. So they said there's actually a lot of embodied carbon in all the servicing and infrastructure under our roads here. So why don't we also really review the street pattern and see what we can keep and how we can use what we have as much as possible whilst not sort of stepping away from creating a really good place in terms of parks and play and communal courtyards. So one thing that almost started as being a really deep research on how much embodied carbon can we save, sort of become this much wider holistic approach to, you know, how do we how do we deal with all of this, all of these buildings that we already have in these places and how can we make them better? Whilst also making it reasonably equitable, going back to a conversation about what is a retrofitted home and what is a new built home and how do we boost these numbers. So the brief from with a new master plan was actually to within this particular phase that we looked at was to deliver 800 homes. There is currently 400, so it's basically doubling the density from what what there was. And bearing in mind, we kept four towers, sort of demolished parts of the low rise just to be able to create those sort of courtyards and parks. Um, it was also we needed to. You know, add a lot of new build infill to this, and what type of buildings do you fill in with in between? And how do then tenants or residents, you know, look at these different homes? Is a new build better than my retrofitted one? Or I love my home. I love this building, even if it might look crap from the start, but I actually want to stay in my home, and therefore it's the best, you know, thing that I would want would wish for. So um, it was like the alternative is moving away or again, you're saying some of these towers, presumably once you've wrapped them with new balconies and et cetera, they are effectively quite almost new. new. Yeah. You basically just kept the structure, the structure and then everything else is new. I think that's also a really interesting conversation. So we were um, revisiting Gascon West phase one, which is 200 homes. That was actually delivered and handed over and residents moved in as one of the first phases, although we had worked on other phases for a longer time, but they were bigger. And at the time, um, so lots of the residents on the existing buildings that were demolished on phase West phase one had right to return. None, none of them wanted to return. They all went for other places in the borough. Everyone wants to move to Beckentry estate. Gascon, which is houses, not. Um, but interestingly, for the later phases, so for West Phase Two and East Phase Two, those residents that have the right to return have now applied to a right to return because they can see 
now they can kind of see the proof of what B4S are delivering across the state. So I think there will be much more demand for the right to return rather than than not. So in terms of that, also, if you're able to either be allocated within the wider estate to be able to stay with your family and your friends um, and then return to your actual building where you used to live or whether it's somewhere else within the estate. Is there a difference between where the residents ended up? You said that some of them prefer Beckentree because they had a house. Well, did those run out and then they were dispersed to other housing? Is it yes. for sure that they want to return to there? Is it depend on where they've ended up? That's a good point. I mean, I don't have all the details, but I think that was one of the things that, um, you know, has become much clearer to to the people within B first and Reside that are dealing with the right to return and the counting process and the right to return process is that there's actually been a much more demand to return. I think there's also, you know, it really wasn't great way back like five, 10 years ago, but it has become a much nicer place. And I think people see that and it's actually in a great location. You're so close to Barking Station. You're so well connected uh, and you're still sort of close to the river roading and you know, other sort of bigger green areas. So hopefully, you know, that's a sort of a good mark in the books for being able to create something that's good. I mean, it sounds like a, a super brave thing to do as well to kind of say, okay, we've got a couple of phases left. Why don't we rethink everything that we're doing? <laughs> and actually, you know, kind of go forward and say, you know, what if this approach, you know, could be, uh, you know, completely, you know, turned on its head? Um, uh, what was the reception from B first when you came to them and said, you know, we thought these last phases are coming forward. What about taking an entirely different approach? Um, was that kind of a, a, a surprise to them? Or, you know, what was the what was the immediate feedback or reaction? I don't think it was um, sort of a, a huge surprise. I think we've been sort of nudging them along sort of these, the last two, three years at least, like, you know, is this really the right way to go? Uh, is there absolutely no benefit of keeping anything of what's currently here um so i don't think it wasn't a you know a total surprise i think maybe they were surprised that we were able to take sort of that combined infill retrofit approach focusing on the place i don't think they had expected us to be able to show that we can deliver 800 homes on this site whilst keeping quite a lot I don't think no one had sort of seen that that one coming. We didn't even know when we started. We we're like, this might not even work. You know, we might get to 500 or 600 homes. But um, really sort of pushing that to see how far we could get. I think that was surprised all of us. Um, I think, um, I mean, they did say, you know, it's come at a good time. We will throw this into our appraisal mix whilst we're looking at these later phases. So, I mean, to me, I think even if, which you're currently doing, so I don't know which route it will take, but I think even if it might not come forward on the Gascoigne estate, I think it does show that local authorities and housing associations or any developer basically need to properly assess, like really properly assess a retrofit approach whilst boosting the numbers that they always want to do or need to do uh, instead of just dismissing it before having tried it. I found it really interesting, this idea about 
wait a minute, let's look under the, you know, let's get the carbon savings for the, the services. Um, you know, let's look at reusing as much as possible under the ground as well as above. In terms of the, you know, ad addition of the second stairs and when you were looking at, um, you know, those kinds of measures uh, around the the existing, were you satisfied with where you got to in terms of, um, you know, what you could, how you could upgrade these? Um, because I know you mentioned ideas of equity. You know, is it a real concern that the the existing and the new were not going to be um, comparable? And I think in terms of, you know, in, in the option where we basically stripped down to the bare bones and re reassess the the layouts to meet the new standards and sort of extending the floor plates slightly and adding all the balconies. I think from that point of view, it would all be um, at the same quality. I think the main challenge is the floor to floor height. They are, you know, you don't have the 2.56 meters. You are at 2.4 meters with your internal ceiling height, which I don't know. I grew up in a flat that bad. As long as you have like really widescreen windows, it could be nice as well. Obviously, it's not as great as having three meters or, you know. Uh, so that's obviously something that we couldn't change. Um, that would still be a limitation, I think, on most of these housing estates because they had a much tighter floor to floor height. Um, but if that wasn't sort of sort of a line in the sand in terms of regs, I think they could still be really, really good homes. Um, so, um, but that was something, that was the one thing that we couldn't change, I guess. You talked about, you know, this um, existing estate with lots of car parking in these kind of patches of grass in between. When you were, um, you know, retaining these blocks and then putting in, uh, you know, densifying the site, putting in new ones. Uh, tell me a little bit about your approach to, to green spaces at, and to parking in the final. Yeah. I mean, given that it is in such a good location close to the station, uh, the parking, uh, most of the faces are actually car-free developments. They only have accessible parking. Obviously, this one is, these later faces are further to the south, so might need some parking, but we're only providing on-street parking. We don't have any basements or podiums. Um, we have actively looked to, with the infill buildings, to place them so that we can arrange them together with the existing buildings. So we create courtyards. They might be slightly more loose, not sort of full on perimeter courtyards. There might be some gaps and openings um, because you have windows to gable ends and so on in some locations. So you can't just close it all off. But I think, um, and then we've also used the, um, because the current three story buildings are flats or apartments. And I think one thing that's been really successful across many of the previous phases is that sort of the addition of terraced housing. So basically framing courtyards or filling in gaps with some three-story houses, terraced houses, has been really um, good approach. And this is something that we've been doing on previous phases together with first. We tried to sort of safeguard them for the London affordable rent level. So basically they go on the affordable homes list rather than for sale. 
Um, and then you also get lots of front doors facing onto these streets where you can have, you know, on-street parking, tree lines, and and then really improving the cycle routes and pedestrian routes across the east-western routes on the estate. And then it's so almost it's, like you're scaling down to that human scale. You're able hmm. to kind of bring, yeah. bring the towers down through the introduction of those yeah. terraces. Yeah, exactly. So you bridge from the 12 stories down to three stories and the infill apartment blocks could then sit somewhere in between at that medium scale. So they can range between five up to 10 stories, um, all subject to sort of daylight on, on these courtyards. So we've talked about carbon savings, but I guess that question remains around cost savings. You know, I would assume that retaining, you know, structure is a significant cost saving. But uh, where do you think this ends in terms of comparative? Are you spending the same amount of money, but spending it differently? Or um, is it, uh, is it, you know, more expensive because of the um, trickiness of retaining people in place, but then you don't have the social and um, economic difficulty of, you know, displacement. Mm. I mean, you're spot on as always. I think those are the challenging questions. I think from my point of view, I think the aspiration to save, to build cheaper, you know, bring down the construction cost is obviously always a matter when you're delivering affordable homes because it is critical to actually make it affordable. However, when you take on a retrofit approach, I don't think we can just assume that it's going to be cheaper because we retain some parts of the building. Do, you know, it has, you know, ongoing projects and previous projects show that it's probably the same cost. It might even cost a little bit more because it is tricky to, you have to do more surveys. You just don't have to, you don't really know what you're going to find. Um, so there is an element of unknown. That's always risk. So that's going to cost. And I think although you have the the wider benefits of retaining, you know, a strong community and residents in place, and you don't have to deal with the decanting process. It is also more expensive for contractors to go into a home where people actually live because they got limited restricted hours. Maybe they can't go into all rooms at the same time. So it is more difficult to do retrofit. And maybe that's something that we have to accept, but not shy away from if we want to try to change the industry to actually be able to deliver these hybrid solutions of new build and retention, I think. A lot of these estates are as a result of, I mean, some of them are, I should say, some of them are results of kind of post-war building, but some of them are a result of previous slum clearances. So, you know, where they demolish terraced streets Mm. and then build towers and then demolish the towers to build terraces. And it feels, starts to feel like um, a level of intergenerational trauma of Mm. displacement that, that does feel, you know, um, political and social more than pragmatic. Um, And, and I guess I'm wondering whether, you know, there is the, the environmental reason, you know, might have sparked the initial conversation, but how much do you think we're kind of stuck in, in, I, you know, that mode of thinking where if there's a slum, you, you know, you pull it up like weeds and, and do something and start again. Mm. That's also a really good question and something that we 
challenges we're challenged with all the time you know in terms of it might not be absolutely no problem with the actual buildings but there are some social aspects within you know various places that are really challenging and i think there is there is you can see in some local authorities or in some cities even where you have a really strong leadership politically in terms of what they want to change and how they want things to you know come forward there is less less focus on wiping things out and and building new i think sometimes we place too much trust in new construction or like creating a new place i think there are some really good things about you know aspects that the sort of in a london context i'm aware not everything is in london but where the gla are having a focus on social value equity and diversity and actually a lot of our bids whether they're for private developers or local authorities or housing associations do involve much more about you know added social value work with the communities uh, sort of mirror the the community in the place where you're working uh, and and build on the good aspects um so i think there are i mean it's it's really interesting we at white in sweden we've had social anthropologists within our teams over the last 10 15 years and i think it just shows how how broad our you know our our impact is so massive when we design places and we need to be humble about actually understanding the the social aspects and learn from each other and you know both ourselves get really embedded in the place but also take good advice from people that might have a different you know skill set than than just being architects it's all about people in the end and if we don't design for people if we get too focused on I think that's what we're trying to say. Someone asked me, so what is the Scandinavian approach to this? I'm not saying it's in a particularly Scandinavian as such, but I think what we what we do is really look at what is good, you know, is this a good place for people and families? And might not always be the main focus is the buildings. The buildings are like a backdrop for something really great to happen. Um and always sort of reclaiming back sort of to what is the place and is the landscape doing its job and does it feel safe? Uh, and I think it might be that, I guess one of the Scandinavian aspects of that might be that a lot of us have actually grown up in apartment blocks. We're not like always wanting to, you know, to live in a house. And a lot of people actually, you know, um, grown up in town centres and cities and, you know, trying to figure out how that's work when you have a lot of people together in one place what's actually needed of the public realm and how how you learn to share share the sharing aspect of that well i don't know how many new projects are sent across and the towers are all luxury developments now so apparently you know it's kind of like there really is you know a, a bit of a a blindness where you know many of these towers uh, that are on estates have amazing views and some of them have not been well maintained uh but you know equally so many of them are replaced with then towers that become luxury yeah. uh sales because mm. they have you know uh, there's a lot of security in terms of who can enter your flat you've got an amazing view you know and and a lot of the um I know many residents have spoken about how they actually love, you know, being up 
uh, high. So yeah. I think, you know, it really depends. Like you said, people are are not a homo- homogeneous group. There'll be people, all kinds of people who have yeah. all kinds of needs. But on that, I guess that there's that question around uh, trust. You mentioned people place a lot of trust in new construction, but I imagine there's a lot of mistrust as well through the history um, of estate regeneration. And I guess you know, what do you feel about this approach? Is this like another test of it really is that is to go into those communities and really answer some of those questions you have around, you know, what would it mean for them to to stay and live in a construction zone, but actually end up with an upgraded fabric to their building or, you know, to move into a newer part of the estate? And, you know, what do these, uh, you know, what are the many different approaches? Because I have a feeling it will be very individual in terms of the response to that. Mm. Yes, I'm sure. I mean, we're all we're all different, aren't we? I mean, or I mean, sometimes maybe we're more similar than we think. But you know, in terms of basic needs, but in terms of what we like and how we live our lives, and what type of families or households or you know how we, you know how we live, it's very very different. And in you know, and on a place like the Gasco, and you have everything from young, sort of young, um, sort of academics you know that moved out there because it's slightly cheaper than central london but still well connected and you have key workers that work odd hours and just they need their car to get to and from work or you have large families so you have intergenerational families you have like all types of constellations living in these homes and you know it's, it's really really i remember sort of very early on when we worked on some of these projects and i was with my daughter down central london sort of oxford street she had to go to primark and i was just okay fair enough you go i'm just going to wait outside and you're going i'm not going to go in. it's too crowded for me and then i was just standing there i was just looking at all the people out on oxford street and going in and out of primark and whatever store it was and it's like it's like really struck me how different everyone was and how they were behaving and it's like and then I started to think about, so what if that person is going to move into that flat that we designed there and there? And how, how are they going to furnish it? And how, going to, how are they going to live in that flat? And it was just really, you know, sometimes you have these moments when you, you know, when you design for various groups of people and you realize it's like so out of control how this place is going to be used um, because people are just going to do what they want with it. So it was both sort of really fascinating and, you know, made me really happy to think about all these various things that are going to go on in these places, but also really challenging uh, and really trying to step out sort of my own perception of how I would use the space, because that's just me. I mean, can be used in so many different ways. And I think that's one of the challenges I've heard around retrofit is often with council budgets, you know, it's it's, we want to kind of, you know, redo all of the the kitchens and this is what your kitchen will look like but i have seen and or heard of instances where they do kind of group choice of tiles or you can have one of three colors oh, yeah. these kinds yeah. of ideas but i think it's an it, it's really it feels important to bring in that you know element of individuality and and the freedom to really make a, a space into a home which is mm. just so important in terms of feeling you know, um, belonging and ownership and um, agency. And I think that's one of the things around estate regeneration that's really tricky. So it's like, you know, you you and, and Gareth went and, and did this amazing feasibility. And now, you know, where, where does that, when does that, through what process, if it gets appraised as possible, 
does it come to the people? And and having been presumably consulted on on, the, on all these different uh, plans, you know, how will they feel about um, that consultation? So, uh, but how much you can learn too, and it being a really worthwhile exercise. Yeah, and actually, maybe there is a shift in what kind of aspects we bring up during consultation. It's like okay. If you could keep your home or stay in your building, what would you make of it? Or what would you want to change? Or is there anything, you know, maybe there's a different set of questions to ask during even, you know, when you when you go really early days and just do polls about, you know, what people want about their estate. It's like, what do you want to keep? What do you want to, you know, keep or lose, basically? What? Do you think you learned most through this process? What surprised you? I think the one, maybe one thing that I hadn't really thought about was the quality question, actually, you know, from, uh, from, um, you know, whether a resident would then argue that a new, a new building has better quality than a retrofitted home. I hadn't really, that one hadn't sort of, sprung up during our conversation and that was something that came about in the roundtable conversation that I thought was really I mean it's a really valid question and something that we obviously need to, we don't want to create you know different you know we don't want to create like an A league and a B league of homes like that has been done before that's just something that we cannot do again um, and we don't want to get in the whole you know affordable homes second entrance to private homes entrance it's like that's nowhere we can't go near that again ever um not that we've done it but it has been done the poor <laughs> door think, you don't want yeah, to have poor you know, doors you can't, you you can't make that exclusion it has mm-hmm. to be completely tanya blind it has to be good quality it has to be for everybody um but i guess it's the perception of different types of homes uh, so um and then i think another thing that came up during the roundtable conversations was also the um, the challenge client side, whether it's a local authority or a housing association, that these projects are more difficult to run. So there's, you know, having the availability and the staff and the experience of actually running these projects because they are run in a slightly different way. And some are doing it and really working really hard and doing it well, but it takes a lot of effort. So how can we make it easier and what is needed from the industry to actually, and the construction industry to actually help these projects come forward? And finally, VAT, you mentioned it briefly. Was that a big thing that came up? Not actually in in our conversations, you know, in the roundtable. Maybe because it was just sort of an an accepted fact that um, it's not going to happen, but within the general sort of architecture industry that is something that's debated a lot you know you should have a lower VAT on on retrofit and renovations and you should have like a tax benefit which there is in a lot of other European countries so I think there are precedents where and maybe that's why in Germany for instance our German office in Stuttgart they only work with retrofit projects there is like a whole different in a set of politics bringing forward retrofitted projects so i think there's some there's some work to be done there uh, that could definitely help this uh, area of construction well i want to thank you for coming back to the developer podcast and telling us about this um 
this new development in the in the conversation around the Gascoigne estate. And I want to congratulate you on your bravery of, you know, actually questioning, taking a moment and uh, stepping out and questioning the approach and actually doing that kind of homework, because I think that research will be really useful to share and amplify. Um, and, you know, if the appraisal uh, goes your way or doesn't, it sounds like a really fruitful exercise in looking at, you know, how we can renew these places going forward. Great. Thank you, Christine. It was really good to be back. Great to have you. Thanks. If you enjoyed this podcast and you like what we do, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash the developer UK. Thanks a lot.